Let's jump into the Word. Remember, we are in a process of under unpacking Romans chapter 12. I don't want you to lose sight of that. Romans chapter 12, the first line. We've spent the whole month and a bit, and we've still got one more week to go, on unpacking the first line of Romans chapter 12. We've got 12 months, 11 months to go, and we'll get through the whole book of Romans chapter 12. Starting week after next, we've been having a, sorry, during this series, we've been having a look at what does Jesus call us? What is the promises he's given to us by what he's called us? Okay? Now, when you call your son, you say you can, he can hear by how you call him as regards what condition or promise awaits him when he gets to the wherever you are. I know when my dad used to use my full name, Craig Matthew, come here. I knew, oh, I was in trouble. He never ever gave me anything but a hiding when he called me Craig Matthew. I knew what my promise was by how he called me. Amen? And Jesus is exactly the same. We know what the promise is by how he calls us. The promise is if he calls us a disciple that he's going to give us some promises to walk out and seek. Remember we discussed that in the first week. The second week we had a look and we said, hang on, he's, he's called us to be salt and light. Remember we discussed that with Pastor Lee, salt and light. We are called to be salt and light. If we called salt and light, when he, when he looks at us and says, hey, salt and light, come here. What is the promise that awaits? The promise that awaits is he's going to equip us to find a need and, and find a hurt and heal it. All right? So when he calls you salt and light, you can go towards him knowing what to expect, knowing what the promise is. Then he calls us an overcomer. Take heart. I have overcome the world, and you too will be able to overcome the world. You are an overcomer. What does that mean? It means that I'll be able to fight the world with supernatural things to be able to have an overcoming attitude. I don't have to rely on my own strength to be an overcomer. Pick me up, get me up, let's get going. No, I can rely on the giftings of the Holy Spirit to be an overcomer. Amen? So when he says, hey you, come here overcomer, know that the promise is he's going to give you some spiritual gifts. The gift of faith, the gift of the miracles, the gift of uh, 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 wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of all these things he's going to give you. When he calls you, hey, I've got something you need to overcome. So when you have a mountain in front of you, you need to hear Jesus calling you overcomer because then you need to go to Jesus to get the spiritual gifts to get over the mountain. But what do we do? We stare the mountain down. Yeah? And it never moves. And then we get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and we go, oh, God must be punishing us. No, no, no. We've just heard, we just haven't heard the calling that when we're staring at a difficulty, Jesus will be calling us overcomer so we need to turn to the Holy Spirit to get the naturally supernatural gifts to overcome. He hasn't called you a maybe overcomer. When you're looking at your mountain, He's already seeing you on the other side. Are you with me? Are you understanding how what He calls us is a promise? It's not just a name. But then as we go into understanding Romans chapter 12 and, the, and more of Romans chapter 12, have a look at what it says in the second part of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And two, it's, or verse one, it says this, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Now, I don't know about you, but now I'm being called a sacrifice. And if there's a promise with everything I've been called, there better be a promise with this one. Because I'm not going to go over to an altar and just lay myself down and get burnt up like a sheep. I'm going to need to know why has Jesus called me a sacrifice? Why has he called me a living sacrifice? And who am I being sacrificed to? 
Well, when he calls you to sacrifice, he's calling you to the altar of the Most High God to be a living sacrifice. And just like when Jesus calls us a name, it comes with a promise. When God tells us what his names are, it comes with a promise. Jehovah, Jireh, my provider. When he calls himself Jehovah Jireh, there comes a promise that he's going to provide. So when he calls you unto himself to be a living sacrifice, he's calling you to the Father, and the Father has many names. Does that make sense? And so over the next couple of weeks after we finished up with this one, promises made, we're going to go into name above all. Okay, and we're going to take a look at a number of weeks of what is the names of God and what promises are attached to the names of God. If we're going to sacrifice ourselves to God, we better know the God that we're sacrificing ourselves to. Amen? You guys don't look too excited. Well, I'm excited, so it doesn't matter. It's what's going to happen, whether you like it or not. Alrighty. So when we have a look at this, this process of being called by God, he's, he's called us quite a few things. But one of the things that I struggled, and this is why this message is quite personal, I grew up and... I was called many things in my time. Now, when I was younger, some of you may know, but I struggled with a serious childhood disease, and uh, it, it didn't cause me to be the most popular kid at school. I had to work at that. By the time I got to high school, I had to work at the sports I played. I wasn't naturally good at any of the sports. I worked at them, but I was working at them because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be the best at Everybody always told me, they looked at me and said, oh, shame. And I, I overcompensated because of the names other people called me. I overcompensated. When somebody said, you'll never amount to much, I overcompensated and tried and prove them wrong with everything I had to my own detriment. Maybe you responded the other way. When somebody called you, never amount to much, you overcompensated and went the other way and said, okay, if I'm never going to amount to much, I'm going to amount to nothing at all. But every one of us seems to overcompensate compared to what we call. Now, the only names I wish to overcompensate to what I'm called are the ones of Jesus. I want to overcompensate and become more than an overcomer. In fact, he calls us to overcompensate around being more than a conqueror. He doesn't just say, oh, you're a conqueror. He says, I want you to understand that you're a conqueror and overcompensate. Become more than a conqueror. I don't want you just to become an overcomer. I want you to overcome the whole world. You see, by calling him us a name, he wants us to go to the extreme on the name that he called us. He doesn't want us just to be a disciple. I'm a disciple. He wants us to be on fire chasing his promises with everything that we've got. And so he knows this about the human psyche, that when somebody calls you a name, we generally overcompensate. You see, when people call us something, it gives us a status. He's the class fool. It gives us the status of being a class fool. Oh, he'll never amount to much. It gives us the status of he'll never amount to much. Am I making sense? But when God calls us something through God, to Jesus, it doesn't give us a status, it gives us a purpose. I want you to get that into your minds. When God calls you, it doesn't give you a status. I'm a Christian. That's a status. That's what other people have called you. That's what you've called yourself. I'm a Christian. Can I tell you something? Calling yourself a Christian hasn't given you purpose up until now. So why is calling yourself a Christian going to give you anything more than status? 
Christian is something I mark on a form when it asks me what my religion is. It's a status. But when I understand that I'm a promise seeker, I'm a disciple, that gives me purpose. So what God calls you gives you purpose. What others call you and you call yourself gives you status. Have you all got that in your minds? Yeah? So whatever status you think you're in right now, that's status. Because if you're not listening to a promise of God, you're not being called to a promise, you've been called to a status. God didn't want to give you a name. He wanted to call you by name. He wanted to call you by the name that He gave you. Call gives me purpose. Yeah? It gives me something to, to, to know that I've got to get involved with. It's, it's, it gives me something to move forward with. So when we have a look at this process that we go through at, 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 as a young person, I don't know about you, but I had the status of never amount to much. I had the status of maybe one day you'll get it. I had the status of selfish, self-centered, brat. I had the, sell, the, the status of being the kid that had to go to, to school with bandages wrapped around the places where dad had beaten him and said, no, I slipped and fell. That was my status. I, I had the status of having childhood epilepsy. The crazy kid. The kid that keeps on collapsing and vibrating across the floor. I had jokes told about me. How does an epileptic do their washing? I had, I had crazy, nasty jokes made up around me. Yeah? That was my status. Can you understand how I could have overcompensated for that status? Let me tell you something. If I hadn't met the name that Jesus called me, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd be cringing in the corner with nothing to say or do. It is only Jesus that gave me a backbone. Satan tried to take it away from me. Does that make sense to you? Don't live by your status that you have given yourself or others have given you. Live simply by the promise that Jesus has placed in you because that's going to give you a purpose that will pick you up. Oh, I'm just the one that sits at the back. I don't get involved. That's a great status. Could I ask, please, because we're recording this, I notice the recording lights are not on at the front. Could you please make sure that we get those on? Thank you. Don't look at the status of the name. Look at the purpose of the name. Look at what the promise is behind the name. Does that make sense? Sorry, Clint, you might just have to go and call your son to help. Thank you. When we respond to that status, when we respond to that name, you're able to differentiate between who you were before Jesus and who you were after Jesus. Does that make any sense? I know exactly what my status was before Jesus. I know exactly what my... In fact, when I became a Christian, people said to me, oh yeah, you're one of those Christians now. There must be something wrong with you. And then I read this scripture. I read a scripture that tells me this. Once you were dead before Jesus, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, Anybody get a witness? Anybody get a witness? I was, I was dead, my many sins. Amen? Sorry, my boy, can we just get the recording lights on? That we can't see anything on the cameras otherwise. Without Christ, I was dead. I was in disobedience because of my many sins. It carries on in verse 3, the second half. By our very nature, by our very status, by our very nature... 
we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. There was something wrong with me. I was so wrong that God was angry with me. This all-merciful, all-graceful God was actually so angry with me for camping in my status of being a sinner and being full of sin that He was angry with me. You know how much that must have got up God's nose to be angry at me? Why? It gets up God's nose when we're not walking out our purpose and we're walking around with a status. Either good or bad status, it gets up his nose. So have a look at what it continues. It says this, But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Where did He raise Christ from? The dead. What, what was that? Was that the resurrection? On the third day? I want to challenge you and say it's not only that. You see, Jesus is on the inside of you because you're made in His image, right? You're made in God's image. God is on the inside of you whether you believe in Jesus or not. But you are dead to it, right? So Jesus is there, but He's dead to, to it. You, it. It's in a tomb. But God called Jesus out of your dead man, out of your tomb, and made you alive. Do you understand now what it means that we live in Jesus' resurrection? We went to the grave with Jesus. Because we have entombed Jesus in our lives before we know who He is. He's in a tomb. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, calls Him out of the tomb. And He's risen in us. Not just out of the tomb in Gethsemane. No, I'm talking about in me. That happened on the 11th of October for me. When Jesus was made alive on the inside of me. So He was dead on the inside of me. And then God raised Him from the dead on the inside of me. Each one of us have a tomb on the inside of us and we either have the ability to let Jesus be raised from it or put Jesus in it. Status puts Jesus in it. He's dead. I'm not a Christian. I can't read my Bible. That's putting Jesus in the tomb. But the moment we accept Jesus, we accept Jesus being raised from the tomb on the inside of us. Am I making sense? That resurrection story is not told that way. We know that we went to the cross with Jesus, but we don't get what that means. We think that it happened, yeah, 33 AD, Jesus died for us. No, no, no. He was representing the fact that all of the sins in our life were keeping Him dead on the inside of us. Yeah? He had to die for those sins, make a statement for those sins, that through those sins on the inside of you, He could be risen and come alive, and you come alive with Him. Do you understand what it means to have Jesus on the inside of you? Hey, new believers, new disciples, when we say Jesus is on the inside of you, that means that He's always been on the inside of you, dormant and dead. And as a result, you were dormant and dead. But when God comes into your life, He wakes Jesus up, He raises Jesus in on the inside of you, and now all of a sudden Jesus comes alive on the inside of you. Now we can go along and tell somebody, hey, that's what it means to have Jesus alive on the inside of you. You were made in His image. He's always been there. He's just been dead. And now, when you accept who He is, you accept that He died for you, you accept that He called, took care of all the sins that called you what you were, a status, now you can come alive with a purpose. Why does it say that God planted eternity in our hearts? While we were yet sinners, He planted eternity in our hearts. Who is eternity? Jesus. 
Don't come along and tell me that people don't have Jesus on the inside of them until while they're not believing in Him. They are in the, it's, he's on the inside of every single human being because He was made in God's image. God has breathed His Word into every single human being. He's just lying in a tomb in every single being until somebody realizes that on the third day He could be resurrected because His sins were taken care of the, at the cross. Am I making sense? I hope so. This is why I've been meditating on this message a long time. I hope you've never ever heard this kind of revelation teaching about Jesus on the inside of you. We've always thought about the tomb as just being something that happened in 33 AD. No, it's happening on the inside of human beings right now as they receive the Word of God and Jesus is being woken up on the inside of them. They are being raised from dead to life. Why? Because Jesus is being raised from dead to life. Not them. They're still dead sinners. But because Jesus has now risen on the inside of them, they've been given life. You can check my pulse and get my, my status of whether I'm alive or dead. That's just the status. Am I alive with purpose? Well, you better check Jesus' pulse on the inside of me to check that. Am I making sense? Jesus is dying on the cross. He's busy dead in the tomb. He's being raised right now. We often say that. Oh, Jesus is dying on the cross right now for those things. You know, once for all time. Well, everything about Jesus is once for all time in everybody's life. Everything Jesus spoke about is happening in different stages in different people on the inside of them. Some of us have already got an understanding of what it's like to live in heaven. That's because we were raised with Jesus to the right hand of God. Some of us have got that, that understanding of what heaven looks like and we've got a heavenly language and we've got a supernatural. And Some of you already got that revelation. Other of you, you're just kind of coming out of the grave, running back to your friends to say, He's alive in me. Some of us have just learned to accept the gifts of the Holy Spirit a couple of days after Jesus was risen. Some of us are seeing Jesus on the cloud. Some of us are seeing in our own hearts, in our different stages of development as a disciple, we're seeing the ministry of Jesus happening. This is not something that just happened thousands of years ago. This is happening in people around you every single step of the way. And as you have a look at those stages of Jesus' ministry in different people, that's the degree of discipleship that they're on. They're either coming to Jesus, getting Jesus, just got Jesus, or understand where Jesus is right now in the heavenly realms. There's no other place in your discipleship walk other than to compare where you're at on the three-year continuum of Jesus' ministry. By the time you get to understanding that you've been risen with the right hand of God, you probably met God. Because it takes me that long to just get to understand that I'm living here, but I'm also there at the same time. Hang on. That's going to take some study. And whether I'm there or not, it doesn't matter. There's no you better than I am. No, Jesus is doing an infinitely specific work on the inside of every one of us. There's no comparison. That's why when Peter came to him and said, which one of us is greater? Jesus looked at him and said, you stupid fool. My work is happening on the inside of each one of you. How can it be greater or lesser? They work, face without work, works. It's not work. Well, obviously it's not works. It's about how much of the ministry of Jesus Christ has happened on the inside of you. Am I making any sense? And so when he says he's raised from the dead, we read that scripture and go, oh, that must mean the tomb. No, that means the tomb in you. Has Jesus risen from the dead in you? Otherwise, it's just some dead dude that lived a couple of thousand years ago. Seriously, it was a story that happened then, not a story that's happening now. 
Why do you think I get so excited when all of a sudden somebody walks in here and Jesus comes alive on the inside of them? I go, hallelujah, there's Easter happening right there. Not Easter happening in April. Easter happening in Boswell today, Sunday. We're baptizing somebody because that's an expression of Jesus having come alive on the inside of them. They're leaving the dead man behind and they're rising anew. Hey, why do you think I get so excited about having this baptismal font here? Because next Wednesday is first Wednesday. How many people are you bringing to be baptized? Oh no, Craig, it's not up to me to baptize. It's up to you to baptize. No, so Matthew 28, 19 and 20 clearly said, Hey, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. Not bringing them to your pastor to be baptized. You go out there, haul them in and get them resurrected in Jesus. Am I making sense? If the onus is on you, not me. And in all of this, Jesus comes along with an expression. And he says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, I'm not going to read the whole scripture. You can go and read it. You're students of the Lord, right? You're going to go and whip out your Bibles. You're not going to walk away going, man, he went on long and never come back again. Or man, he went on long and then go home and go, oh, no, I've got enough Bible for me for one week. Thank you. He went on for 45 minutes. I hope that you're going to go home and make note of the scripture because it'll change your life. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10, it says to us that I am God's masterpiece. What's the masterpiece on the chessboard? Some say it's the rook, some say it's the queen, some say it's the king. Well, if you take a look at what piece you have to trap to win or lose the game, it's the king. Some people say, well, if you move your pawns just right, you can win the game. Well, you know what? I don't give a rip because it's not about what's the most important piece. And I'm not, well, that scripture doesn't tell me I'm the most important piece. What does that scripture say? That there's a piece of the master in me. I'm a masterpiece because I have a piece of the master in me. Am I making sense? And if I've got a piece of the master in me, I've got a piece of the master's purpose in me. And the piece of the master's purpose is to love God and love others. That's the only purpose that Jesus said was his. So if I've got a piece of the master and the piece of the master's purpose in me to become a masterpiece, I have to walk out the peace and the purpose that Jesus has placed in me. I don't come to church to love myself. Nowhere in scripture does it say come to church so that others may love and incite you to find works. No, no. I come to learn more about the peace of the master in me so I can walk out the masterpiece in others. Am I making sense? And when that scripture calls me masterpiece, what that says is that before Jesus, there was something wrong with me. But after Jesus, I've actually got a purpose. So when somebody says to you, oh, well, to be a Christian, you must be insane. You must be off your rocker. What's wrong with you? It's old school. I look at them now and I say, no, there's something wrong with me if I don't have Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm in God's anger. I am away from God. There's something wrong with me if I don't have Jesus. So either get with the program or get out of my sight. I don't have time to listen to a status. I only have time to listen to a purpose. And I come together with fellow purpose-driven people because I know you're going to call me out for my purpose, not my status. Don't call me out as a pastor. That's my status. Call me out to help me reveal Jesus to more people. Help me get better at what I do in shining Jesus. Help me with my purpose and then we're talking. Don't come here to listen to me to get better. That's selfish. 
You're not making me better. You're not making you better. And you're not making the person next to you better. We come together so that we can join together in a purpose. Not a status. Check. We're in the church. Check. Status done. Look at me. I'm a Christian, you know. Go to church twice a week. If that's your purpose, shame. Because as soon as it rains or your favorite television program switches to the one of the times you come to church, all of a sudden you're going to lose your purpose. Well, now my purpose is to watch Blue Bloods. It's a whole lot better than going to church. You with me? We change our status, we lose our purpose. But we, if we have a purpose, we will never ever change our direction. So don't come along here thinking that, oh, I can't be a master. I don't feel like a masterpiece. If Jesus has risen on the inside of you, you have a piece of the master. Therefore, you are under the control of the master. You are a master's piece. You are the master's piece of a puzzle that needs to go somewhere to make Jesus realize in somebody else's life. You are a masterpiece of the story that he needs to tell your next door neighbor. You are a masterpiece. Something will not work if you're not on the board. Let me tell you something, if you're playing chess and you get told that you have to remove one piece, that's the piece you will miss. You'll get yourself into a situation and go, I wish I had another rook. I wish I had another queen. I wish I had another... Aren't we rushing across the board to try and get our queen back? Am I making sense? Those of you who don't play chess are going, huh? We are a masterpiece according to that scripture. But we have a status. What's our status? Our status says, I don't like myself. I want to ask this question. What's the one thing preventing you from stepping up and saying, I have a master's purpose on the inside of me and I'm going to walk it out? What's the one thing that drives people? They're ashamed of themselves. How do I know that it's true of everybody that they're ashamed of themselves? Because that's what Satan imprinted in us in the garden. Adam and Eve came out and they weren't proud. They didn't say, hey, Father, check us out. We chowed the tree. It was good. We had a purpose. We got up this morning and the purpose was to cut down the tree of living life and eat the fruit. Man, we had a ball. We made some garden furniture out of it and we had a good fruit salad out of it. It was great. Adam and Eve didn't do that. No, no, no. What did they do? They realized that they hadn't been in sync with their purpose. They had looked for status. They had looked for the status of being like God. Satan gave them a status. Aren't you going to be like God? Aren't you going to do this? Aren't you? And he said, okay, as soon as they stepped into their status, they lost their purpose. As soon as they lost their purpose, they became ashamed. And they hid behind the bush. Bush, Hebrew, shame. And we do the same. We can't step into our purpose because we are so ashamed of how we used to be before Jesus was risen. Let me tell you something. When the disciples saw Jesus alive, they forgot about the cross. Won't you? We've seen Jesus come alive on the inside of us. Can we please put down what we put down at the cross? Jesus has been risen on the inside of you to prove that not even the things that you used to do will hold you back from the life He wants you to have and we're living the life of what we used to do, the status of who we used to be. Am I making any sense? He's called you to the purpose of being a master's piece. A piece that the master wants to use and we go, oh, well, I don't really like myself. I'll go to church. 
my job dead beat. My boss gets on top of me. That's because I'm not really good at anything. I'll never amount to much. Oh well. See you in heaven, because I'm a Christian. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. He's come back. He was birthed on the inside of you. That was his second coming. He's come back thousands and millions of times since he left the earth the first time. He's come back 2.2 billion times according to the earth the counts as regards how many Christians there are who believe in him. That's how many times I'm waiting for Jesus' 2.2 billion, 332,609th recoming. Because every single time he's made alive on the inside of somebody else, he returns. He's resurrected. He's raised again on the third day. He appears in the clouds. All will see him appear in the clouds. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming back on the clouds again. It means that somebody in everybody's journey, they're going to get to seeing him on the clouds. Didn't he already appear in the clouds? If my personal journey is about where Jesus' ministry is in my life, every single one of us is eventually going to get to the point of seeing Jesus in the clouds. But now we're just waiting for Jesus so you can validate my status and can show everybody who called me a fool to be a Christian that I was right. Wow, that's quite a Christian purpose you got there. How's it working out for you? I don't know about you, but having Jesus on the inside of me makes me alive. And I know I got my faults. I know I preached too long. I know I get too excited about the gospel. But you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel in me. I'm not a, when we say, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you're thinking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, when I say I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the ministry of Jesus that's happening on the inside of me. Does that make sense? I'm not ashamed to say somebody, I've got Jesus on the inside of me, and then look at me and go, huh? Let me explain, because it's quite cool. I'm not ashamed to say I'm covered by the blood. Let me explain because it's quite cool. I will come seeker sensitive so that the seekers have a status with us instead of giving them the true purpose. Are you ashamed of the gospel on the inside of you because you don't like yourself? Would you like some steps to help you if you don't like yourself? Maybe you like me, you grew up not liking yourself. I hated myself. I overcompensated. I still do. Somebody comes and tells me I've done something wrong. Man alive, you want to see me overcompensate. I still do. It's still in me. I still flesh. I still wrestle with it. I still have to remind myself that Jesus has risen for that. I'm no longer trapped by that sin. I'm no longer trapped by that behavior. I don't have to be ashamed of it. As long as I'm vulnerable about it and everybody knows that's a weakness of mine. Trust me, if I've been mulling over a message in my head and you come and talk to me about the windows that need cleaned outside five minutes before I preach, you're going to see my flesh. I'm sorry. Just who I am. I can't concentrate on many things at once. Is it making sense? So there's a couple of steps that you can have a look at if you wish to learn how to like yourself. Understanding according to Psalm 139 and verse 13 to 16 that God made you a masterpiece for His purpose. You weren't called a masterpiece because you were given a status. You were called a masterpiece because you had a purpose. Having a purpose means I've got to go and do something. If I know who I am, I'll know what to do, right? 
If I know who I am, I'll know what to do. If I put on a uniform that says firefighter on it, I know where I've got to go to do what? Fight a fire. That's what I do. If I know who I am, I know what to do. If I know I'm a masterpiece, I know I've got to do something. Well, first thing that Jesus calls you to do, here's your purpose. This is not some crazy purpose for you to become a missionary in some Arab country or African country. No, here's your purpose. To know that what Jesus has called you is true. That's your purpose. What do you mean? Well, how many of you actually walked out of here last week going, by George, I'm an overcomer. And when things got heated during the week, I'm an overcomer. Haven't you heard? I've got supernatural ability to overcome this issue. Oh, well, I'm an overcomer. If you want to go and be Eeyore, go and watch Eeyore. But if you want to walk a life of purpose, believe what God has called you. To your core, you have to know that Jesus was risen on the inside of you. That miracle, that wonder miracle when light shone forth in that tomb, in the garden tomb, and light burst forth back into the world, has happened on the inside of you. Not just in some tomb in Israel. I've got to believe that at my core. But what do we do? We jump to what we have to do to get status, and we never really seek out who we are, because we don't really like who we are. Am I making any sense? I praise that I pray that I am. So here's what you need to do. Your purpose is to give to God what He has given you. It's called worship. Our purpose is to worship God. We will do that forever, so you better get used to it now. When you get to heaven, you'll just do it voluntarily because there'll be like no other expression that comes to mind that will actually validate why you're there standing in front of them. Most high God in person. You'll want to worship Him. Not, not has to, want to. So you better get practicing now. And what that means is whatever He's given me, I give back to Him. I walk out. If He's called me a disciple, I worship Him by being a disciple. But if I don't believe I'm a disciple, how can I ever walk with God back as a disciple and worship Him as a disciple? If He's called me an overcomer, I better walk out overcoming, otherwise I'm not worshiping Him with an overcoming attitude. If He's called me the salt and the light, I better get out there and walk salt and light, find a need and heal it, find a hurt and heal it, find a need and fill it. I better get doing my purpose of what He's called me to be. It's called worship. If you're not doing what God has called you, you're not worshiping Him. If he's called you sin-free, you better be walking a sin-free life. If he's called you an overcomer, you better not be depressed. But Craig, you don't understand. I've been depressed for 36 years. Status, check. Good. Do you even know what medication to go and get? Have you tried some injection of the resurrection of Jesus into your life and changed the status of who you are? It's called healing. We believe in it around here. Or do we? I'm healed. I used to get headaches, but now I don't. That's because the doctor gave me glasses. But Jesus healed me. Come on! Did you see me take my glasses off? I'm waiting for a healing. I'm waiting to see again perfectly. Not because of some surgery or because of some medication, but because on the inside of me is a risen healer. Get some backbone disciples of Jesus and start walking out who you're supposed to be instead of making excuses saying, I don't like myself. You are a masterpiece. Wow. What does that mean? Well, it means a few things. Firstly, you want to like yourself. Jeremiah 18, verse 3 to 4 is a scripture you need to read. 
Step number one, understand that God can remake you. At the moment of rebirth, God remakes you. Do you know how I used to talk to my boyfriend? Do you know how I used to talk to my girlfriend? Do you know what I used to do? You know what? God remade you. In that scripture, it tells of a lump of clay that the potter forms into something and he doesn't like it. He goes, ah, that didn't work. How many of you have ever turned clay on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a... It's not the easiest thing to get right. Mine always came out lopsided. I pushed in with my one side more than I pushed in with the other. So my thing went like this around the turntable and then flew off. Yeah? So you know what I did? I picked up that lump of clay and I made an ashtray without it on the wheel. But I made something out of it. It was simple. I made an ashtray. I don't smoke, but I could make an ashtray. But I made something out of it. I didn't just leave it lying in the corner saying, oh, depressed. God is remaking you. You don't have to remake yourself. Extreme makeover, divine addition. You're not going to remake yourself with some diet or some self-help book. You're going to remake yourself with understanding that Jesus is alive and living on the inside of you. Get on with it. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what you look like, no matter what you feel like, no matter what you smell like, no matter who you are, stop looking at the status and look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the inside of you, remaking you. Am I making sense? Jeremiah 13, 18, 3-4 says, You can be remade into a masterpiece. And if He remakes you and you still don't like what you are, go back to Him and say, Make over, Lord. And he asks you to go and make coffee, and you go and make coffee in the church for three years, you don't like it. You go to him and you say, remake. And he calls you to go and be in the youth, and you go and be in the youth, and they don't like you. And you go back to them and say, hey, with joy, I was obedient to you, but remake. And he can keep on remaking you, shaping you, molding you, changing you, as long as you're willing to go to the Lord for your makeover and not your status for your makeover. I'm constantly in a space of remake. My wife is glad I'm in a space of remake because she didn't like who I was today, so she surely was hoping for something better tomorrow. She's tried remaking me. It doesn't work. But when we trust each other with the Lord to remake each other, we can get rid of status. And we can move on to liking ourselves because God is remaking us. And I can, in the notes, if you're following along, I put a lot of scripture references. You want to get those notes. Tonight's message is already up and available to you. By the time you leave here, you'll be able to go onto the app. Tomorrow morning, first thing, it will be a refresh, and you'll be able to get the audio, the video, and the notes. And so I encourage you to go through. If you have a problem of understanding that you're working hard at becoming better, so that you can feel nice about yourself and good about yourself, you need to stop and let God remake you. You need to stop. And there's plenty of scriptures that you can use as encouragement to let God remake you. Second thing you've got to do is you've got to understand that what others call us gives us status, but what calls us gives us purpose. What God calls us gives us purpose. I've unpacked that a lot. That was the main point I wanted to land tonight. One of the other things you've got to do if you don't like yourself is understand this, that God's not finished with you yet. You know, it's like those people folk who go along to, to, to get plastic surgery to make themselves look better. Now, I'm not condemning anybody that had plastic surgery done. That's okay. That's your status. Work with it. But the fact is, is that you look in the mirror and, and for the first time when you look in the mirror after having plastic surgery, it doesn't look so good. There's still scarring and there's still, there's still maybe stitches and there's still maybe bandages. It doesn't look that good. He's not finished yet. It's not finished. There's a process. 
God's remaking you from nothing every single moment, and He's not finished with you every single moment. Can you imagine how many ashtrays God's got in heaven? That's okay, I'd rather be an ashtray in heaven than a vase in hell. And so when it comes to it, if you don't like yourself, just go to the Lord and say, right, Lord, I'm still waiting. Come on now. I'm still waiting to be a masterpiece. You better finish this painting. Am I making sense? Don't look at the status. Know that God is remaking you. And know that God is not finished with you yet. I want to close on this. The greatest tragedy in life is living life without purpose. You lose purpose when you lose track of where the ministry of Jesus is happening on the inside of you. Does that make sense? When you lose track of Jesus' ministry on the inside of you and you look to your ministry on the inside of you, you're going to lose purpose. Oh, well, I'm, I'm working on this now. You know, I'm working through James. Can I tell you something? Jesus never wrote the book of James. Get back to the Gospels on the inside of you. Not the Gospels to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get back to what the Gospels are saying on the inside of you. What is the good news this morning? The good news is that you don't have to walk out today in that status. The good news is that you don't have to sit where you are. God can remake you. He's not finished with you yet. And the status you have isn't what defines your purpose. The status I have does not define my purpose. Wow. Everybody has been made right with Christ. And so as we finish tonight, I want to just open it up to the floor. Cameras will shut off at this point so you don't have to worry about being broadcast anywhere. What did you get out of tonight before we come to the table? Anybody want to start? I'm out of breath. And I'm fit, so I'm preaching fit, so I must have preached well. What did you get? Anybody got a word, a question, a thought, a comment? An injection of the resurrection. Stop thinking of the resurrection as a status that happened 2,000 years ago and understand that it's happening right now and it's part of your purpose. It's not a status. Jesus didn't die for me. Status check. Tick. No, he's busy dying for you. He's not finished with you yet. The cross is still active. The resurrection is still active. Him being raised to the right hand of God is still currently active. Every single thing he did, he did once for all time. Jesus didn't do it on a line timeline. Okay, died for them. Check. Okay, raised for them on the third day. Check. No, he's busy dying for you. He's busy raising for you. He's busy sitting at the right hand of God for you. He's busy making proclamations for you right now. He's busy interceding for you right now. He's inviting you to the cross right now. He's seeing you run from the cross right now. He's seeing you arrive at the garden tomb right now. He's seeing you express joy at him alive in you right now. He's doing all of those things all at once in you all the time. Oh, but Craig, I'm a Christian. No, that's your status. I've accepted Jesus back in 1963. And ever since then, I've been the best EO I could possibly be. No. There's parts of you that haven't even come to Jesus yet. What? Think about it. There's parts of your selfish man that you're still holding on to that you haven't led to the Lord yet. Am I right? Maybe it's your cussing. Maybe it's your diet. Maybe it's your, your, your activities. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's being a dad. Maybe it's being holding on to stories that happened to you when you were six. But there's parts of you that haven't even come to the cross yet. There's parts of you that have just got through the cross. We've just realized that, oh, when I give, God blesses me. Oh, hallelujah, I can die 
to thinking I have to hold on to everything and cram everything in my garage. You've just come to the cross in that instance in your life. Being vulnerable about the fact that the window is slowly getting muddy and slowly getting cleaned all at the same time is cool. I like having new cross moments. I like having resurrection moments in my life. I love it. I love redoing my baptism with Jesus. I love hearing the words, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. That's not something that happened 2,000 years ago. God just said that to me while I was preaching. While I was doing his work, he said, well done, Craig. You preached your guts, well done. They might not have got it, but I got it. Anybody else get anything besides me? Give God back what he's given you. That's worship. What has he given you? He's given you a name that gives you a purpose. So live life with purpose and that's how you worship him. Walk it out. You know what? Even if I'm going in the wrong direction. I, I, we used to live in a, in a little a suburb and there was a railway line right next to where we used to work. And to get to school, we needed to cross the railway line. But there was quite a way down the railway line, there was a proper bridge. But along the railway line, there were these these, um, like you have, like level crossings, you know, where the booms go up and there's a guy up at the top who turns the wheel and man level crossing. And of course, around those level crossings at rush hour, it used to get very congested for those people who needed to get below the line or above the line and move around to get to work. And, and I would rather drive in the opposite direction to school and cross over somewhere else, but I'd at least be moving. I couldn't handle sitting in traffic still. My dad used to drive a nice motor vehicle. There was like these six underneath the hood, and it's going. I'm going, good grief, can we ever get moving? God's given you an engine. It's called Jesus. Are you sitting still with it, or are you putting your foot down? That purpose, that engine is not, you don't have a purpose. Jesus in you is the purpose. Brother Craig, I've been called. That's your status. I've been called to be a pastor. That's your status. My purpose is to show people the Word of God and reveal it to them in such a way that they can live life with passion. That's my purpose. Call me a pastor. Call me a businessman. Call me whatever you like. That's my purpose. I want to show people the Word of God with revelation knowledge so that they can have the passion of Jesus Christ in their lives. I'll do that whether you call me the whatever. Am I making sense? Your name is status. Jesus on the inside of you is your purpose. Anything else? Well, you see, he knows that if he pushes status, there's going to be shame. He just has to push the status button and there'll be shame. Even if your status is good. Well, you know, I'm the CEO of a large blue chip company. Having been successful at that for the last 26 years, I've made more millions than most people dream of. Yeah? But you go home and you're sad because you're never with your kids. You've worked too hard. There's shame. As soon as he pushes the status, there's going to be shame. He set that in motion in Eden. It's part of our psyche. I'm yet to meet somebody that's prideful, but is prideful when they go to bed at night and they're on their own. How do you boast to nobody? You can only boast when you've got people around you. But when you go home, you're not so boastful. Now you're remorseful. Because Jesus, Jesus hasn't been pushed on the inside of you. Shame's been pushed through status. 
because you know this, you know that, you know the other. Stop talking status to me and start talking to us. I'm going to start asking you around here when you come to me your problems, what has Jesus' ministry said to you on the inside? I can't amount to much. I've been trapped in sin for all my life. You know what Jesus said to somebody who's been trapped in sin? And he's saying that to you. He's not saying it to Mary Magdalene. He's saying it to you right now. Father Craig, I've always had this problem. Yeah, well, I can find something in the three years of ministry that's happening in your life right now. You're feeling what the people felt when they looked at Jesus face to face. You're looking at Jesus face to face right there because he's alive on the inside of you and you're busy dealing with it just like Mary Magdalene dealt with it, just like Peter dealt with it, just like Cornelius dealt with it, just like Paul dealt with it. You are dealing with it exactly in the same way. That's not some story that happened in the Bible that's happening on the inside of you right now because the Word is the Bible and the Word is on the inside of you. Therefore, the promises are on the inside of you. Therefore, the purpose is on the inside of you. Don't you get it? Man, this is discipling. Because I'm learning just as much as you are. Trust me. Anything else? Any questions? Any comments? Going once. All right, let's pray and then we come to the table. Father God, we thank you that we can have revelation here tonight. That thoughts and ideas and things that have been keeping us back for all this time can can now be changed. Father, thank you that your resurrection wasn't something that happened in some tomb 2,000 years ago, that it happened in my life today. I ran down to the tomb and found you raised. I ran down to my life and thought that I would find darkness and death, but there I found you raised and alive. Thank you, Father God, that right now I'm sitting confused and you're telling me a story. A story about fishermen or a story about clay or a story about some talons. or You're telling me a story about the situation I'm in right now. Thank you for just ministering to me. Right now I'm hungry and you're feeding me. I don't know where the food's come from, but somebody walked past with a basket and gave me something. Thank you that I can be that person that walked past the basket. Father, thank you that we can get lost in the gospel because it's happening in our lives right now. Thank you that when I read the gospels, I'm not reading a story that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm reading the story of my life. I was lost. I was broken. I was punched and pushed down. But because of you, that was not my statement. Because of you, I can stand. And not only do I stand, but because of the risen love of Jesus Christ in my life, those who pushed me down, shoved me down, and broke me, I can look at them today and say, I forgive you, and I love you. Will you forgive me? When you looked at your disciples and you said, keep doing this in remembrance of me. You are saying, keep living out this gospel. Every moment of the day, throughout eternity, live out the good news of Jesus on the inside of us. You are declaring us a piece of the master by saying that the story is on the inside of us. Oh, Jesus, we come to this table tonight and we receive a piece of the master on the inside of us to make us alive in your name. We were dead, sinners, forgotten. God angry with us. People angry with us. Us angry at ourselves. No direction, no hope. 
Well, in one moment, you turn around and said, you're a masterpiece, you're not forgotten. You can, you're not can't. You are able, you're not unable. You are good, you are not bad. You are more than enough. You are greater than I am. You are an overcomer. You are the salt and the light. You are a promise seeker. You are a disciple. Stand. You can overcome. You can defeat Satan. You are more than a statement. And in that moment, I said, Oh, I'm still working it out. You're still working it out in me. But man, I'm enjoying the ride. Father, will you awaken in me the joy that I have of having you by giving that joy to others? Father, I'm going to go today and I'm going to commit to you to telling what I learned to church tonight to somebody who wasn't here. I'm going to tell them how much they missed and how much Jesus is on the line side of them, that their status wasn't a non-church attender. No, I just want to go along and give them some purpose in you. I want to reveal something about you. I want to show them off to who you are so that they can get a life. Father, those people that walk into that restaurant every single day looking like they're beat up and ready to ship out and just waiting for Jesus to come and get them. Father God, we ask and pray that they catch a wake up, that they go and take Jesus to somebody else, that he's not coming for them until they've taken him to others. Father, we pray right now For those who've hurt us, beat us, given us a status of depression, a status of downtrodden, a status of nothing. And just in being able to pray for them, we become masterpieces. Just by saying we forgive them, love them, and don't hold a grudge against them, we are masterpieces because you've called us to love our enemies. And when we love our enemies, we're doing what you have purposed us. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare this table a remembrance of the whole gospel on the inside of us. And as we draw near, we take the bread, we drink the cup, and we consume the whole story. And we're going to keep consuming the whole story. And we're going to keep doing this in your name and in your remembrance. We remember every step of your ministry in our lives. We remember every step. The moment you stepped into our lives and said, hey, did you see that happen? That wasn't just coincidence. That was me doing the work of my father. Hey, did you, did you notice that my mom and dad, I was miraculously conceived on the inside of you? Nobody brought you to me. I just came on the inside of you. I was just there on the inside of you. I just, I just arrived miraculously. I came to you. And you might be thinking that so-and-so led you to the Lord or so-and-so did this or so-and-so said that. No, I was miraculously conceived on the inside of you. I was born in a crazy place. You thought there was no space in your heart for me. And when the Holy Spirit came knocking to plant me on the inside of you, me or you on the inside of me, I said to the Holy Spirit, there's no space in my life for you, Jesus. Yeah, you can have this little hole called church. You stepped into that little hole and you made that little hole alive on the inside of everybody. And people all around came to church to see you. Wise men, stupid men, 
Shepherds, crazy men. They came to see you on the inside of me as you came alive on the inside of you. Moms and dads marveled. Wise men gave me gifts and said, well done. The whole story is of you and me. And right now, in the name of the Father, we declare this table representation of the story. We pray right now in Jesus' name that as it is received, as it is received, your story is alive on the inside of us. Draw near and receive. 